What's up? This is Brent from Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast. Today is Wednesday, November 28th, 2018. We are a little more than halfway between the Redskins' Week 12 Thanksgiving Day loss to the Cowboys and their Week 13 Monday night matchup with the Eagles. But this, right now, right here today, this midweek bonus podcast is the Reuben Foster episode. Because the Redskins, of course, claimed him on waivers yesterday. Now, this event, this topic and issue is, of course, complex. And I wanted to make absolutely sure that I had done at least a little bit, a somewhat thorough um, investigation into the important details of both the on- and off-field persona of Rumid Foster prior to bloviating extensively about him. And in fact, I mentioned on Twitter that I actually did sit down last night with every intention of recording a hot take podcast, and I changed my mind because I did not feel fully or adequately informed. By now, however, it has been a lengthy 24, or actually more like 22 hours, since I found out that Reuben Foster was technically a redskin. So now I'm an expert on anything and everything about him. Or not. Obviously, that's a joke. I have limited information. But enough, I think, to have some opinions. And some of you, for some reason, apparently like listening to my opinions. So here they come. Reminder, Burgundy Blogcast is part of the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network, which you can find at bluewirepods.com. There's a bunch of good pods about other teams and even other sports on Blue Wire Pods. And this particular episode is again brought to you by the online sports book, mybookie.ag. Reuben Foster. Reuben Foster is a Washington Redskin. You guys already knew who he was, and I'm guessing most of you already fall into one of two categories, either strongly for or strongly against the claiming and acquisition of Reuben Foster by the Redskins. Some of you may feel conflicted, and in fact that group is probably pretty big, but it sure seems like this group of people that is actually neutral or unsure about the wisdom of the move is pretty small. I actually don't know which group you are more likely to end up in or gravitate towards more so than your baseline after listening to this episode, because I'm pretty darn certain that there are some things about this that are smart and some things that are just dumb. I think the word might be ambivalent, but I'm not apathetic about it because it is important. It's going to be a hot topic for a long time, and it may ultimately have very little impact on the identity of the Washington Redskins on the field or in the standings, or it might have a significant impact. Either way, I do think it will almost certainly have a significant impact on the way the Redskins are perceived by fans and media, both locally and nationally. And guess what? The impact of that perception, both in direction and magnitude, might actually change over these next few weeks and months, or years, depending on how his career unfolds. So do me a favor and don't assume the way you feel about it right now, or that the way most people or the average person feels about it right now, is automatically the way it will be viewed in the future. I think Reuben Foster, the individual, and the Redskins as an, exo- as an organization, collectively have quite a lot to say about how this strategic maneuver is eventually regarded and graded. First, I want to set a framework for the opinions and observations to follow by making one or two basic underlying things abundantly clear. Number one, I obviously do not condone domestic abuse of any type, whether it be physical, emotional, verbal, mental, or what have you and perhaps especially male-on-female abuse. In fact, I believe personally and deeply that any man intentionally inflicting physical harm on a woman by taking advantage of size and strength disparity is one of the most abhorrent and most difficult-to-forgive types of behavior 
in which any man might engage. It's horrendous and it's a huge problem, unfortunately a common problem in our country. I wish it could be and I hope it will be eradicated and I do not have any tolerance for it in life in general. I also do generally and philosophically believe in forgiveness and redemption, not immediately for all people and not unconditionally, but the concept of forgiveness is incredibly important in my personal worldview, and I think the offering of forgiveness to another person in very many cases is an admirable act. Now, please, first of all, don't immediately jump all over that concept just because in your cynicism you know in your heart of hearts that the Redskins as a team couldn't possibly have anything but extremely selfish motives in their treatment of this person. Trust me, I certainly know, oh boy do I know, that the people running this team have long since lost the benefit of the doubt. Nonetheless, I'm sorry, I do think there is often much value and goodness in the giving of another chance. Finally, and along these same lines, I think I should just explain that I am just not someone who looks for or expects even the very slightest contribution of ethical guidance or moral compass from anyone who plays for, coaches, administers, or owns a professional football team. That's not to say that I totally do not care how they act or what they stand for, but it's certainly not my greatest interest, and frankly, it's not much of a priority interest of mine in them. I absolutely 100% do not think that rooting for a particular sports entity should be even associated with or certainly equated with some kind of implicit or inherent endorsement of their behavioral conduct. Let me make something very, very clear. In the recent words of HaHa Clinton Dix, check me out. Actually, geez, dude, he didn't say check me out. He said check this out in his intro presser. If upstanding character was important to me in the leadership or constituents of a football team, I would have absolutely permanently and without a second's worth of hesitation quit and disowned the Washington frickin' Redskins a long time ago. From a morals and integrity standpoint, the Redskins have been a disaster for almost as long as I can remember. I am not following them or rooting for them because of their stance on any social justice issue or because of the goodness in personality of anybody at Redskins Park. That has not been the case since I was a boy and much, much more naive than I am now. It wasn't the case on Monday when Reuben Foster got cut. It wasn't the case on Tuesday when they claimed him. And it's not the case today on Wednesday afternoon. I watch the Redskins because I'm fascinated by the sport of football and I believe the best way to consume it is to become thoroughly educated on the way one team works in terms of on-field strategy, team building, roster construction, and overall chemistry. It is an interest. It is not a pride. I am not proud of the Redskins. Now, does that mean that I have absolutely no limit, no line in the sand that I would draw where or beyond which certain behaviors would just be absolutely prohibitive? I'm sure there is one, but we haven't reached it yet, and the claiming of Reuben Foster, even immediately after yet another allegation, prior to any execution of due process, is certainly not the straw that's going to break that camel's back. So you can take all of that for what it's worth. Some of you will probably agree, some of you will pause, delete, and unsubscribe in disgust, and that's okay, because I'm just trying to keep it real. All of that was, I guess, some means of segue into the following idea. Everybody wants something different out of a football team as a fan. Some people want what I want. They just want to watch. They want to enjoy awesome athletic achievements. They want to get lost a little bit in the intrigue and suspense of what might happen in a given game or season or over the course of the longer history of a franchise. Others root for sports teams, I think, primarily from the standpoint of enjoying the social aspect, the fraternal aspect of having something in common, something to bond over with fellow fans, something to rally around and really identify with. And still other types of fans I think would take it even to another level and they really want or even demand that a player or a team actually represents them 
and what they believe in, their hopes and aspirations and goals, and even their mores. And I think these fans are more likely to truly admire and deeply respect or sometimes even worship a celebrity athlete or to pledge undying loyalty to a squad. I cannot personally relate very strongly with that inclination, but I certainly know that there are people like that. And it's fine. I think a lot of those fans are great. A lot of my friends are like that. And a lot of very, like, totally normal, completely intelligent people can't or won't appreciate or enjoy a sport or a team or a player if he or she or it is tainted by moral disgrace. And I do not begrudge that opinion by any fan. So all of this, again, I think is to say that every fan wants something different out of his team or his guy. And that's why every fan has a different take on the Reuben Foster situation and what it means in terms of who the Redskins are and who he is and who they themselves as fans are. If you just cannot bear to be known as a person who watches 16 times a year and who reads about several times a week, a team associating with or fraternizing with a criminal who you just despise, then that's cool. That's cool. I get it. You're allowed to feel that way. But you're also allowed to not really care whether the guy wearing number 56 is a total dickhead or if the guy wearing number 12 leads a Bible study. I think one thing I wish with respect to this current issue and many controversial ones in sports is that fans and especially people mainly in the mainstream media with influence would do a little bit less assuming that what they want and expect to see out of a team is what everyone else should also want. Because that's where righteous indignation enters the picture and hyperbole and I think sometimes an erosion of credibility. And honestly, one thing I feel about this is something I've said in the past on other topics, and I do believe it. I think it's that the only people who are definitely wrong about what the Redskins did with Reuben Foster are the people who are 100% sure that they are definitely right. Because no one can be absolutely sure right now. There's room for disagreement on what should be permissible, not at home in terms of physical interaction between spouses or significant others, but what should be permissible by a football team. There's room for disagreement on that topic. And also, very, very importantly, as alluded to previously, what's known at this point about Reuben Foster's transgressions and intentions and personality is extremely limited, probably by NFL teams and even the commissioner, and definitely by you, average Joe fan. And me, I'm including myself there. To prepare for this podcast, I did a lot of reading and watching. I watched some some more of Reuben Foster from Alabama. I watched some more of Reuben Foster from San Francisco. I read about the reasons he's missed time for uh, conduct and for injury. I watched Kyle Shanahan's lengthy press conference in which he explained in great detail how he feels about Reuben Foster and some of the thinking that went into the decision to cut him. I read a bunch of articles about his previous run-ins with the law. I read some scouting reports, and I read a bunch of the opinion pieces in the Post and USA Today and other places overnight. And yeah, I have some opinions about Reuben Foster, but I have no idea really if they're right or how right they are. This guy's clearly been in trouble a lot, and often in conjunction with or in the physical presence of this same person, this current or ex-girlfriend lady. He's 24 years old. He has made serial horrendous decisions, whether he has struck or injured this woman or not. He's immature and impulsive, clearly. He also, by many accounts, came from just an absolutely atrocious background as a child with untold damaging exposures and, I think, a lack of responsible influence and supervision. None of that, absolutely none of that, again, to be clear, is to excuse or justify violence against a woman. But I think it's extremely important context in the characterization of this man as a monster. So again, I think the way you feel about the Redskins claiming Reuben Foster is going to depend a lot on what you expect from and want from and even demand from a football team. And it's different for all of us. So do me a favor and keep that in mind. 
Sure, watching football is fun, but many would argue that it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at MyBookie. If you're the sort that likes to bet a little but win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. College basketball, college football, NBA, NHL, custom props, even eSports, you name it. MyBookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend MyBookie because they have been in business for years, they've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. Sign up this week and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. Also make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They personally respond to every mention and DM, not to mention that they've given away more than $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. Log on to MyBookie right now and use promo code BLUEWIRE, that's one word, BLUEWIRE, get 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Now, you don't need to explain to me that the main risk in um, uh, getting on board or getting into bed with Ruben Foster for the Redskins is one of public relations and public trust, or basically image. They run the risk of alienating many fans who depend on some level on the team's moral fiber and who simply cannot abide this association. That is a real and tangible risk in terms of money for Dan Snyder, but let me tell you, boy, I sure don't care if he loses a little bit of money from the continued decline of Redskins fan enthusiasm. And I'm also just, you know, gradually in my old age or whatever, caring quite a bit less about how the team is perceived by the masses. Because as as I've explained, I mean, I don't own or subscribe personally to their code of conduct in general. And I'm, I've grown quite comfortable and natural and, and used to mocking and ridiculing the Redskins to fans and friends, all of whom know that I have never agreed with the way Dan Snyder has treated fans, price gouging them and sometimes suing them, with the way Bruce Allen always tries to gaslight this battered fan base into believing his spin on the latest fiasco. And really, everybody already hates the Redskins anyway. I mean, almost everybody. Whether it's because of Dan Snyder or Bruce Allen, whether you hated the way it ended with Robert Griffin, the way they mishandled Kirk Cousins, maybe you gave up after Albert Hainsworth, maybe it was Scott McLuhan, maybe it's the name, maybe it's the stadium or the fake waiting list or just the institutional arrogance. I don't know, but whatever it is for you, everybody hates them. Even those of us that like them, we hate them. PR has never been a strength for the Redskins. It's a glaring weakness. And their image is just horrendous. The owners don't like Dan Snyder or Bruce Allen. They don't trust them. Agents hate negotiating with them. There was the whole salary cap penalty fiasco from 10 years or however long ago. They do a lot of good community work. And and Tanya Snyder, I think, was instrumental in starting up this Think Pink thing, which is a tremendous resource for breast cancer research and survivors. But man, their image is in the basement, dude. Or the gutter. And so frankly, yeah, I'm not sure it's an oversimplification to think that one aspect of this in, in their minds is like, what exactly are we risking here if we're risking our image? Now, maybe that's fatalistic and just disgusting to you. I mean, clearly, they, they should be trying to rehabilitate their image, which you would think you would do more successfully by moves essentially the polar opposite of this one. But again, image and PR is, is it's a very subjective thing. And even if this is the most criticized move of the NFL season, It may be objectively unpopular, but it may not be tangibly harmful to the organization if they don't have much image to protect already, and especially if, as I think you may find, the radioactivity of this transaction 
should begin to fade even over the next few days as actual football starts to get back on the TV. From a team chemistry standpoint, I'm not sure that this is a big gamble. First of all, you already know by now that Redskins have three dozen of Reuben Foster's former college teammates from Alabama uh, rostered. Just kidding, I think he's actually the seventh, but that's an enormous number for a total roster of around 60 people. I think a lot of fans have wondered, well, what if, are, are you going to have guys on the team that, that are just like so put off by this that they can't get past it or it affects their own play or poisons the locker room or something? I think Chris Russell put something out like that, that he's canvassed some key personnel and that there are dissenters. I don't know about that, man. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I just think that's overplayed. I think some of his teammates will be asked a bunch of annoying questions in the coming days and weeks. But I just don't really think it's that big of a deal. I don't think it's likely to detract from their preparation for the playoff race. I think Gruden will be able to pretty easily deflect those things. It's also pretty clear already that he's actually not even going to play this year. I think a lot of fans are fond of complaining that this will be some huge dis- distraction or that it will suck resources that otherwise would be applied toward actual winning, like in the immediate term. And I just don't really think that's true. I think that the the people supervising and handling and addressing the Reuben Foster matter are going to be mostly executives and administrators who frankly don't need 24 hours out of every day to attend to the players on the roster or to the coaching staff. Uh, Yeah, I just, I think there's room for this in their lives and in their jobs. The front office is responsible for asset management and he's, they're viewing him as an asset and they'll manage him. And they got a lot of other players on the active roster and on IR and on the practice squad. I mean, there's a lot going on, but This distraction stuff is just overrated. It's something that they're going to need to work on. Yeah, but it's not going to run their lives. And trust me, Jake Gruden's not going to give two thoughts to this cat while he's preparing for Philadelphia and trying to make the playoffs in a year where that might be necessary to stay employed. The coaches care about the players that they're actually allowed to coach right now. So if Doug Williams and Eric Schaefer want to spend a few extra minutes out of the next few days trying to figure out what to do with Reuben Foster, I think the team can survive that. All right, maybe I should have done this part earlier, but let's talk about like what he actually did. Or maybe more correctly, what has he been accused of doing? What has he been proven to have done? And what has he been found guilty of? First of all, we all knew that Reuben Foster was a chucklehead when he initially committed coming out of high school to Auburn and got a tattoo of the Auburn logo on his arm prior to even showing up at school. And then he decommitted to Auburn and eventually went to Alabama after Auburn's coaching staff was let go. I actually remember that getting national attention. Now, obviously, he was a stud recruit. He went on to Auburn. He was amazing. He was a Butkus Award winner. In college, I think he did have a few off-field infractions. Um, I don't recall the details precisely, but I think they were some pretty minor um, drug and weapons possessions things. I don't recall that he actually hurt anybody. So there were like some minor character flags, but nothing really huge until his Next, like, major screw-up, which was showing up to the most important job interview of his life, uh, i.e. the scouting combine, and not only did he fail a urine drug test for a dilute sample, but he also got in a fight with some kind of, like, hospital worker and actually got kicked out of the combine. That was embarrassing and uh, contributed significantly to his uh, eventual significant fall on draft day all the way down to the bottom of the first round. I think he was the 31st overall pick by the 49ers who traded up into that spot to get him. His legal troubles as a pro then I think pretty much began uh, in the beginning part of this calendar year and he's been arrested three times. To clear something up, as far as I can tell, he's not been arrested three times for domestic violence. I think that's twice. There was the first time he was uh, 
charged and found guilty of misdemeanors for drug and weapons possession. And ostensibly, that was the nature of the conduct policy violation that earned him a two-game suspension to start the 2018 season. I've seen that written explicitly and also deduced it because ever since Ray Rice, the first violation for domestic violence is supposed to be a six-game ban from Mr. Goodell. So there was that, and then there was the most high-profile of his legal run-ins, which was when his girlfriend sustained some injuries and accused him of beating her up, and it drew lots of attention. But I think it's important to note that she then, later during the trial, uh, recanted and uh, admitted or reported, after Ruben's name had been further tarnished, that he was not actually responsible for those injuries, that they occurred during some sort of road raid, rage incident with somebody else, and that she had hatched this whole plan to extort money from him. So those charges were dropped, and that's why he's been playing football this year. Then, of course, most recently, uh, within the last week, he was arrested again after the same lady called the cops at the team hotel in Tampa and reported that they had had an altercation, that he struck her or slapped her, I think, with an open hand, um, smacked a phone out of her hand, maybe caused some scrapes, and pushed her. Frankly, no one on the internet right now knows exactly what happened at the time of that most recent altercation last weekend. And for that matter, I, I think none of us, and certainly not any bloggers, would know would would be party to the the true the true details or the truth of what happened when his girlfriend was injured the first time. But again, she said on the stand that she had fabricated it. So what am I supposed to just ignore that? One other thing that should be, I think, considered, and a lot of people don't realize, is that this young lady, years ago, in fact, I think maybe as far back as 2011, admitted publicly to being arrested and jailed for falsely accusing a different man of domestic violence. Did you know that part? Google that. That's out there. Now, If Reuben Foster was physically violent with this woman, none of this crap in the past, none of those shenanigans on her part add up to some kind of excuse or validation. Obviously, I'm not suggesting that. But I'm building a case that this whole thing is more complicated and more ambiguous and more vague and more, frankly, just unknown and unknowable to the average fan than a lot of reporters and and journalists would have you believe. On, on this day. Now, I really don't know if Reuben Foster is a, quote, bad guy, end quote. I don't know if he's a villainous, mean, selfish, reckless person. I'd say it's pretty clear he makes serial bad decisions, that he's been self-destructive, that he has associates who are not enriching his life, and that he frequently puts himself in bad situations. But none of those things independently should be enough to get him banned from the NFL and prohibited from pursuing his chosen profession. Certainly if additional details and further investigation of this most recent indicate suggest that he was indeed physically abusive with this woman, he's going to get punished very harshly by the law and by the league. And the Redskins, I have no doubt, will immediately cut ties. And they'll be blamed by many, of course, immediately for consorting with a criminal. But I think it's up to you to judge the reality of that. If then he is found guilty by the league, or certainly by law enforcement, of having been physically abusive with her, I suspect he will be suspended for six games, presumably the first six games of the 2019 season, as his first official violation of the domestic violence policy. But perhaps it could be more harsh, since he's had unrelated offenses previously. So here we are, like 24 minutes into this podcast episode, and I'm going to start talking about what he does on the field. What does Ruben Foster bring to a football team on the field? Why would the Redskins want to hire him in spite of his baggage? 
And actually, even though I do think that this matters, which is not universally agreed upon, I don't think it needs a lot of time spent on it because I, I think the gist is fairly well known to most. He's a good player. He's a good player at a position where the Redskins don't have young talent. I think mediocre play by Mason Foster and Zach Brown, frankly, despite his substantial contract, has been a big reason for the Redskins' ineptitude against opposing rushing offenses over the last four to six weeks of the season. And both are vulnerable against the pass also. Reuben Foster is 24. He's a physical specimen. He's blazing fast. He's very strong. He's a ferocious hitter. He has range in terms of sideline to sideline coverage in the run game and the speed to cover tight ends over the middle. He makes big plays. He has that highly valued Alabama pedigree. He did win the Buckus Award. And I think given a little more seasoning and if his head was right, it's likely that his skills would upgrade the Redskins defense. He was very impactful as a rookie and graded highly by PFF. But I don't really want to latch on to the notion that he's an unquestioned, undeniable star already. I don't think he's quite reached that point, and I do think his game has a few holes. I spoke with two people who follow the 49ers very closely. One of them described him as similar to LeVar Arrington, which in many ways piqued my interest and enthusiasm, but perhaps in some other ways didn't. And some notes on him included the fact that he tends to play without strong discipline. He's sometimes out of position. He freelances and goes for huge kill shots at the expense of reliable tackling. And one person told me that he's, quote, not the brightest bulb, end quote, and that he struggled calling plays during his time as a middle linebacker, and that he was this season being transitioned really to more of a weak side linebacker role because he did not have a total grasp of the playbook and he had some trouble diagnosing things. He's been hampered by a couple different minor injuries this year, but he also was not highly productive in his, I think, six games in 2018. Something like 29 tackles total. I'm not saying he's not a good player, and I'm not saying he couldn't potentially become a great player, but neither of those things is actually obvious or guaranteed right now. So it's not exactly like the Redskins are rolling the dice for Khalil Mack. Now his contract, which the Redskins stood to obtain or own only by claiming him, and of course you know by now that they were the only team to claim him, which certainly won't help with plausible deniability down the line should that be desirable. But this contract is awesome. First of all, every single dollar's worth of guarantee was voided by his two-game suspension at the beginning of this year, so they can cut him at any time and owe him nothing. He costs only about a quarter of a million dollars this year while he waits it out on the commissioner's exempt list. His cash and cap number are both less than $2 million for 2019 and 2020, which of course is incredibly cheap for a starter if he should become one. And then he also still carries with him the coveted fifth-year option should the Redskins choose to invoke that based on his performance. So even if he doesn't play it down this year, but he successfully rehabilitates himself and becomes a candidate to play in 2019, the Redskins can control him for up to three years. Again, he's only 24 right now. We're talking about the years of him entering his prime. Let me sum this up by saying that from a purely football-related standpoint, you've heard this on every other podcast, and I don't have some hot take to disagree with it, but this is a basically a zero-risk and potentially high-reward contract from a football-only standpoint. He's a high-ceiling player with rare, desirable skills, not perfect, but has proven production um, at the highest college level and also as a rookie in the pros. He's very cheap. He has possessed for three and a half more years, and he can be cut immediately with no future cap ramifications. In many ways, this contract is perfect. So all of the above are reasons why the Redskins, cons- the Redskins considered it worth giving this a shot. One thing that is also worth considering here, I think, 
is that if the Redskins get screwed at the quarterback position by Alex Smith being unable to return due to injury or returning but not being a good player, and with the Redskins being forced to devote a non-trivial portion of their salary cap to him under either condition, they are absolutely going to have to A, get creative, and B, find players who outproduce their paychecks and their draft status. The quarterback situation is going to force them to have to take, to take chances and to get luckier even than other teams or to be more right at other positions if they're going to compete for a division or a conference or a Super Bowl, which, yes, I know that's laughable with this team, but it's still the goal of every NFL franchise. You might categorize, I guess, this whole situation under just desperation, and maybe that's true. But they're going to need to find some some guys on a budget who can be difference makers but not get paid like it. And sometimes that is probably going to result in moves like this one. This thing's going long, so I, I need to wrap it up soon. But I want to finish by saying that if indeed Bruce Allen, quote, masterminded, end quote, the decision to claim Reuben Foster, and that if he was the primary driving force behind this decision, despite a divided or non-unanimous front office, as has been reported by Les Carpenter and Kareem Copeland, I think, with the Washington Post. First of all, I'm terribly disappointed to learn in that case that Bruce Allen is still the main decision maker for this roster, because that bodes very poorly for the Redskins going forward. But secondly, under that condition, it is the absolute weakest of sauces for the Redskins to put out the only statement about this with Doug Williams' name on it, and misspelled, I might add, at least in the first draft, and then to not make Dan, Bruce, or Doug available for further discussion about this complicated issue to the media. That would be an embarrassing, unnecessarily confusing and cowardly move by the team president, Bruce Allen. If you decide to make this move and you're prepared to handle the inevitable backlash, that's one thing. But it's really jacked up if you force someone else to deal with it and you duck the hard questions yourself. Thanks for listening to another Burgundy Blogcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, brought to you by mybookie.ag. I'm happy to report that after my commitment to Burgundy Blog was severely tested in August, and despite many deep, persistent problems with the Redskins franchise, I'm having a lot of fun tweeting at Burgundy Blog this year and especially recording the Burgundy Blog podcast, aka Burgundy Blogcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use. I would also consider it a big favor if you would leave me an uh, iTunes review of the podcast. Those are much appreciated and some have been highly entertaining. Tell a friend or two about the blogcast and also please engage me on Twitter about anything I've said or forgotten. I will definitely check back in here after the big Monday night game coming up against the Eagles. (laughs) 